Our passage this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, and when we begin to read, we'll be towards the beginning of the chapter. Um, We'll look at verses 4 all the way through 27. How many of you have struggled to be a, a part of the body of Christ? There's been difficulty in using your gift, the gift of the Spirit. There's been barriers to, to fellowshipping um, the way that you know you should. Has that, has that been a struggle for anybody? Just not that many of you. Surprising. It's, it, it's a common struggle. And because we know that God has a design for us as his people, as Gary was saying, there's, there's going to be a struggle there sometimes because the enemy doesn't want us to use the gift that he's given us to, to bless the body. He doesn't want us to be built up in our faith. He doesn't want the fellowship and the, and the camaraderie and, and the learning and the growth to happen that God designed for us. And so we're going to take this morning and consider some things about the body of Christ, about your part in Christ's body. And this is a topic that's it's important to me. It's, it's very near and dear to my heart because I've wrestled with God and even protested to God a lot about this. And when I speak about it and when we endeavor to look at the word, it's not, because, it's not important to me because it started out that way in my Christian life. It's become important to me, and I'm glad for that. But let me tell you, it's, it's been the long way around the barn for me when it comes to the body of Christ. I'm convinced of the necessity of the church, so I serve, so I minister. It's not the other way around. It's not like I, I minister, or I am a minister, which I am, <laughs> so I proclaim the necessity of the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? I, it's not like, okay, I, I'm a pastor, so I kind of have to tell you guys that, that the church is important to Jesus. <laughs> it, it's the other way around. Like we, We've got to see what the Lord is telling us about his body and about his people and, and then let him work in our lives. And it can be very difficult at times. There's a, if you've been a close part of any church, especially ours, You've had a lot of struggles. Uh, you're, it's not like, well, it's so easy to be plugged in. It's so easy to operate. It's so easy to get along. It's, it's not. And so the word of God gives us a wealth of wisdom on this. I, I think about the Bible calling us. We're the saints because we're saved by grace. Calling us the body of Christ. He didn't call us the mind of Christ. Now, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ collectively. But he didn't say, you're the mind of Christ. He didn't say, you're the spirit of Christ. Although we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, that's not what we're called, right? And he didn't even say, you're the heart of Christ. We're supposed to have Jesus' heart, but the church isn't known as the heart of Christ. It's known as the body of Christ. Why did God use that analogy? And it's not just an analogy. Why did he choose that reality to make you and me the body of Jesus? It's because if you're a Christian, if you believe in him, the body of Jesus is precious to you. You know that his flesh was torn and beaten and broken so that you could be saved. 
It's hard for a Christian, it should be hard for a Christian to be like, oh, I don't care about the body of Jesus. I don't care about the sacrifice that he gave for me. And I, I, I don't really see the suffering in it either. No, as saved children of God, we think of the body of Christ as he gave his life for us, and it's of the utmost importance. And then the Lord turns around, and it's not just an example, it's a reality. He says, you're my body. At that point, it's pretty obvious that it's disobedience for us to not care about the body of Christ. It's not as though we can be right on and say, yes, Jesus, no body of Christ. We can't do it. So he gives us this name. He gives us this calling. He puts this reality into us on purpose to get our attention. It's not just an analogy. It's a reality. It's an arresting one. It's to get us to be ardent about his design for our lives. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and we'll read a lot of verses, so just hang with it. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Hang with me, verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one together, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. No Much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that 
The members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. When it comes to the truths that are presented to us here in this chapter and many other places in the Bible, we realize that there are other ways for us to live out our Christianity. We don't necessarily have to, it's a matter of obedience or disobedience, be a part of the body that we just read about. I mean, we're members of the body because we're saved, but what I'm saying is we don't necessarily have to be an operating member. That is our choice, isn't it? Like, we're like, I'm willing. This is what I will do. This is what I will receive. And what are some of the roadblocks that we run into when it comes to being obedient to the calling on our lives in the context of the body of Christ? Well, first of all, will we be isolationists? Lone Ranger Christianity. Is that God's design? It's true. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have a personal relationship with him. That's a wonderful truth. But your faith isn't meant to be lived out in a private way, or your relationship isn't supposed to be an island from others. Isolationism is quite comfortable. Amen? We can get to the place where we love God and we really don't need his people. This is not what the word of God teaches to us. There's a lot of dangers to isolationism. God's people, including me, we're messed up in a lot of ways, but nowhere in God's word do we get a reason to disconnect and not be operating functional members of his body. You saw it in verse 21, did you not? And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. That's isolationism, right? I don't need you. I talk to people about the body. I talk to people about the church. and say, I, I, I just don't need it. Yes, you do. You don't feel like you need it. I don't feel like I need it sometimes. But the truth right here, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? It's, the Lord says we need each other. So isolationism isn't an obedient option. How about being a separatist? This is where we're sectarian about the saints that we have friendship with and fellowship with. And I understand the appeal of this also. We want to surround ourselves with people that we enjoy. I'm trying not to look around too much. <laughs> and separate ourselves from people that we don't enjoy. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're only called to minister to those that we enjoy most or to those that we get along with the best or that we're supposed to receive from or work in collaboration with those that we like or enjoy. It's so true that we're going to be closer to some people than other people. That's, the Bible's not saying you're going to have an equal relationship with each person in the context of the body of Christ. No, but this sectarianism can seep into the church and into our hearts, and before you know it, we're thinking like this. Well, the general populace, it's just too messy. It's too sketchy. It's too burdensome. And I've got certain friends and certain family members, and they're the body of Christ. Well, they may be a part of the body of Christ, but those few members that you've selected aren't the body of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because who chooses the body of Christ? I'm still not looking at you guys. <laughs> God chooses the body of Christ, right? He, he selects. He, we're elected. 
So he gets to pick who comes into his church, not you, not me, not anybody else. So when we live by sectarianism, we're saying, I've created my own, I won't do this, I've created my own so-called body of Christ, and therefore I'm being obedient. That's not the diversity of gifts that we see in the Word of God, is it? In Galatians, a book that we recently studied, Peter needed to be rebuked because he was favoring, you know, he was, he was about the whole. He was, about, he was connected. But then when certain people came from James, came from Jerusalem, he started living differently and he was just hanging out with Jews. Sectarianism came in. And when Peter started to do that, other people started to follow in his footsteps. Because after all, he's Peter, and if he can live a sectarian type of life where he just picks and chooses who he hangs with, who he ministers to, and who ministers to him, then I must be able to do it. And even Barnabas was carried away with this sectarianism. The Apostle Paul came and he rebuked Peter and told him, this isn't right for you to be selective now, yes, you're going to be closer to certain people. I hope you're really close to your family and the Lord and you're, you have dear friends in the Lord. But separating ourselves and making our own little so-called church is not what the Bible says is obedience. So beware. I have my little Zoom group. That's my church. I have my phone friends. Is that come one, come all? Because the body of Christ is whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Are you ministering to the whosoever's? Are you being ministered to by the whosoever's? Are, are you connected to them? Because that's what God says the body of Christ is. All who call upon his name, all who believe in him as Lord and live their lives for him. Especially in that fellowship that you're a part of. And it is good and right and healthy to be a part of a fellowship so you can operate, right? So that you can know and be known. So whether it's isolationism or being a separatist, boy, do I identify with those things. But the word says here that we're supposed to function within the body of Christ. That is God's design. We're supposed to be plugged in and participating. And the word says here, right from the beginning, in verse 4, he said, there's a diversity of gifts. Members who function for the good of the whole and for the glory of God. When a person is dismembered, they lose something important, like an arm or a leg. They, they lose an operating, functioning part of their body, right? Members in the body of Christ are not just people that, that have a certificate or have some sort of approval from a board or a pastor. They're people that operate the same way your arm operates or your leg operates. They're, they're members of your body. So this is what it means for you and I to be members of one another and ultimately members of Jesus. I just can't get away from this truth that the body that hung upon the tree, the, the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, is now what he's calling you and me to be, that we're so, to be his hands. We're supposed to act like he did with his hands during his earthly ministry. We're supposed to go where he, he went and talk the way he talked and have compassion the way he has compassion. The, the body of Christ in us. Why the body of Christ? When I say this, why should we be totally convinced? Why should we be totally into it, a part of it? Number one, because God designed it. 
Look at verse 24. We read it. Doesn't, don't you see the word there, composed? Who's the composer? The Lord himself is the composer. He designed your human body, and he also designed the body of Christ. It's according to his making and his creativity. Look at verse 18. God has set the members. So just the same way, if you're studying Genesis in advance, that God set the sun in its place and set the moon in its place, he has set the members of the body in order, and we're according to his design. I admit we don't operate as smoothly as the solar system. I wish that we would. I would pray that we could. But look, God has set us. The church is not a man's design or an organizational design. It's God's design. Now, people take it and they try to impose their design upon it. And, and sometimes that's very corrupt. And sometimes it's just for the sake of doing things in decency and in order. But the church is God's design. He created it. Would you turn to Ephesians? And we'll stay there just a little bit, and then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaks of the Lord again designing the body. Mercy likes to crochet. It's, I don't know if it's technically knitting, but this verse gets to how God maybe just sitting on the couch. She, she crochets on the treadmill. That's, that's hard to do, right? It's hard for me to do, either one. Ephesians 4.15, middle of the verse says, him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The Lord joining and knitting and designing his body, putting it together. And here it's knitting like he knit you together in your mother's womb, like the body showing its ligaments and its, its joints and everything being supplied. Be convinced, be a part, because it's God's design. And always go back to the word of God for the design so that we're not duped and don't realize that we're just living out a person's design instead of the Lord's. Number two, God is pleased with it. So in the same way that the Lord created the universe, almighty God, and then after he created on the first day, he said what? Yes. And after he created the second day, he, he designed and then he said it is good. The same thing is true with the church. Look at what it says in verse 18. Just as he pleased. So the Lord created the church and said, I like it. It pleases me. It's good. Now, the way we do church might not be good. The way we act might not be good. But the church itself is pleasing to God the way he put it together. So he made the church, not us. And it's pleasing to him, not tailored to what pleases us. Number three, God gets glory in the church. When we operate, when we use our gifts, the spiritual gifts that are spoken of in, in 1 Corinthians 12, God gets glory. If you go, since you're already in Ephesians, I ask you to stay there a bit to Ephesians 
Back up to 20, because it'll make more sense. 320. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see it? The church designed by God, pleasing to God, and then giving God glory. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So when we are a part of the church, yes, we, we attend, yes, we come, but when we operate our spiritual gifts, God gets glory. That's good. Now, as we read, you know, some members receive honor. That's not the point of this passage. When one member receives honor or has a good gift, the whole church rejoices. But the ultimate glory goes to God for the church. Number four, what else did you see? God brings profit to all through the church. So by his design, because it pleases him, he gets glory, and then he profits all. I want to profit spiritually and eternally and practically. And the church profits those that are a part of it. It's edifying for us. It builds us up. Now, sometimes I struggle with that, and I think, I think I'm giving more than I'm taking. Should I could take a little more? The, body said, the Bible says here that we're built up in our faith, that he brings profit to all. Isn't that what it says in, in the word? Edifying itself, which Ephesians 4, 16, we already read it, said. You might hear this. When you're hurting, you're really going to need, need God's people. Have you heard that argument before? Right now you're living a disconnected life from the body of Christ, and that's not good because you're going to be hurting someday, and then you're going to need us, right? It is true that it is amazing to be blessed by God's people in your time of trial. Amen? But Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So if we only come and say, you know what, I'm going to have a hard time in my life at some point, I'm going to be struggling, and I want a support group. Well, that's only one piece of it. In fact, it's not even the most blessed part of operating. Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Most of us realize that that's true. It doesn't rid us of our greediness or our self-centeredness completely, but do we see it that when we participate, when you use your spiritual gifts in the context of the body of Christ, it's so great to give and to see God's hand in what you are giving and how you are giving it. Our pride keeps us from receiving sometimes. A lot of conversations this last week were just good fellowship conversations. Like, there it is, pride. We don't, we don't want to receive because it's just, it's hard for us. You know, we live in a take, take, take type of society, and we're thinking, like, I don't want to take, take, take. There's times when you need to receive, and, and I, I, I play that card sometimes. You're robbing this person of their opportunity to use their gift and bless you. Just, just take it. Arthur's sick today, and it takes like 10 people to fill in for him. I told Martha, you have to stay home. You're sick, right? But no, 
Be blessed for once in your life. Let somebody do something for you. Well, who's going to do it? Well, we'll find 10 people to do your job. It'll be fine, right? It'll work. That's God's design, not some manipulative pastor that wants you to attend and serve. It is for the profit of all. Now, we are in various places regarding spiritual gifts and body ministry. What I'm saying is that each one of us finds ourselves in a unique place. We don't grow at the same rate in the same areas. We're kind of all over the place. The Lord is working on our lives. So when it comes to our, our gifts and the body of Christ, we're not all in the same spot. I, as this gets more applicable to our lives, I do see a lot of growth in this church, in our church. And I don't see the half of it. The Lord, Lord knows what's going on. I see a, a lot of people that are rightfully and biblically operating their spiritual gifts. So if, if that is you, I mean, don't stop listening right now, but um, just keep doing what you're doing. Sometimes that's the message from God's word. For others, this might be a course correction. You, you are operating, and still there are some principles that you need to be reminded of, and actually there's a correction that's going to happen. This is me right now. Like, I'm operating to some extent, but I, I need that course correction to, to get, I need a recalibration to get me on target with what the Bible says. And these are powerful principles. And to revisit them and to see what the Word of God says about this is, it, it's what I need to be renewed in those. And then there are others who may need a rebuke this morning. They have been very disconnected. They're not operating the spiritual gifts that God has given them. They're not receiving they're not plugged in. And if that's part of what the word is for, isn't it? For correction, for reproof. So as we cover these things, I'm not at all saying that we're void of them or that there's some widespread disobedience, but these are powerful principles for us to put into practice. We need them pointed out to us again sometimes. So when it comes to God bringing profit to all through the church, Let's talk a bit about your physical body, your physical frame. Do your body parts prioritize their particular function or do they prioritize the good of the whole? You've got a certain body part and it does have a function that's quite selective. It has its specialty, let's put it that way. But does your physical frame prioritize that first or the good of the whole first? Yeah, everybody's like afraid to answer. They're like, I don't think. So let's put it this way. I'll give you an example. The hand in the mouth. Sometimes I get like cold sores or canker sores in my mouth and, and they hurt bad. Like in my throat or something. I don't know why I get them. And much to many people's delight, when I have them, I don't talk that much. <laughs> I try to avoid talking. And so my daughter's, if she brings me some, some coffee or some soup because my mouth is hurting, I'm probably just going to be like, hey, hey, thank you, I love you, right? My mouth's hurting. Is my mouth, is my hand going to say, wait a second, 
communicating is not my thing. This is not my forte. This is not my wheelhouse. I don't really care that the mouth is hurting right now. Does it not prioritize the good of the whole over its specialized function? It does. It will fill in. Your body will fill in, and it's amazing what God does, and that's why we're called the body of Christ. You have a gift, and it is wonderful to, to know what that gift or those gifts are. It's, it's just to have the hand of God on you, but we cannot lose sight of what it means to be a gap filler. The body, aren't you thankful when your physical frame, when your body operates in the way that it does, when it compensates? You're like, boy, I, my foot's broken again, right? But I'm glad I have armpits and hands right now because I, I'm crutches. And I'm glad that my arms aren't saying, walking's not my job. I specialize. Be careful of the specialization mentality because although the Lord has specialized for us to work in certain areas, we can get to the place where we don't see the good of the whole and how we can fill a gap even if it's not our forte, even if it's not something that we consider to be our our ministry. Not lying. I got to stop looking you in the face because it offends you. Not lying. It was last year. That's how long ago it was. A whole like more than a month ago. So you meeting with some people out in the parking lot. Family came up. And they had a bunch of kids. There were some newer people there. And I introduced, like, these are the kids to the grown-ups. And they said, oh, we're not in kids' ministry. Literally. That's not our thing. And I was like, whoa. And you know me. I'm slow to speak. Uh, I said, what does that have to do with it? No, I, I was, like, so taken off. Like, so, you're, so just because you don't teach Sunday school or lead songs, you don't want to know the kid's name? Um, that's getting too specialized. And I picked an ex- something extreme because sometimes we think like, this is who I am, this is what I do. And isn't the Bible clear that the, the body of Christ is not about the individual specialized gift? It's about the good of the whole, right? So let's look at that. That's one of the struggles with spiritual gifts is they, even though they're, they're wonderful, it gets too narrow, we get so focused on our gifts sometimes that we don't see the overall good of the church. Let's move to the final point and its application, which is God the Spirit distributes the gifts. Did you notice as we read, who gives the gifts out? They're called the gifts of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that literally assigns, for lack of a better term, it really means that, those gifts to our lives so that we can use them in the body, and they are vital. Look at verse 8, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Through the Spirit, and if you remember what we read just a few minutes ago, verse 11, Spirit works distributing. So you see the Spirit giving the gifts to each of the members so that they can glorify God, so they can operate for the good of the whole, so that they can please the Lord. The Spirit giving those. So how about misdirection on on what your gift is? There is an issue with this in the church, let's face it, because there are certain gifts that we would like to have, but we don't. And is it possible to want a gift or feel like we have a gift and 
not be operating in the way that God designed for us to operate. I'm asking you this. Is it easy to separate your feelings and what you want from what God is telling you? It's not easy. The Lord works it in us, and he shows us, this is from me. But it's hard to sort out sometimes what we want from what God wants. Hang with me, please. The Apostle Paul. What would have been his ministry priority if it was up to him? Well, he said in the, in the book of Romans that he would give his soul to see his countrymen saved. That is powerful. Not his life. He would give his soul to see the Jewish people saved. And the Lord sent him to the Gentiles. Why? He had this desire. It had to be good. The Lord said, this is what I have for you. And then we learn later that Paul writes, he says, beyond this, I have a concern. I have a burden for all the churches. So God changed his heart so that he was now vested and cared deeply about these Gentile churches that were scattered all over the Mediterranean. But we get our desires sometimes mixed up with what God really has for us. And I'm not saying that I know. It's hard for me to figure that out in my own life sometimes. And we can have desires that are actually noble desires, but it's not where God wants us because the Spirit is the one who distributes the gift, where he wants us, what he wants us to do, and how he wants us to operate. It's just not according to what I want or certainly not according to how I feel. How about Moses? The Lord made it very clear that he was supposed to be the mouthpiece to Pharaoh. And he said, I don't want the job. My brother is a better speaker than I am. I, I do not accept the job, Lord. I, don't, I think you are mistaken. He did not desire to deliver the people out of Egypt. That, but then the Lord gave him new desires, and he spoke with fury to Pharaoh. You read Exodus, and most of the time, guess who's talking? Not Aaron, Moses. The Lord needed to shift his desires and his focus and even his feelings about his inadequacies or what he thought he was designed to do. A bit of a separatist, wasn't he? I'm doing fine out here in the wilderness with my family and my livestock, right? And the Lord says, no, go. I have a job for you. So sorting out our feelings and, and what we desire, even in the context of the kingdom of God, is not always easy. Listening to the Spirit of God. It's hard to separate what we want from what God wants for us sometimes. There's a, a play that was recorded. I grew up watching a play called High Tops a lot. Do you, does anybody remember High Tops? Okay, that's crazy that you remember that. These are really, it's really getting back there now. They recorded High Tops, and it, it's, it's a cool story. It's, it's dated, but it's still got some great parts to it. And there's a section where Jenny Alexander comes, and she's auditioning to be a part of this production. And she shows up because she wants a singing part. She thinks she's a soloist. And she starts to sing. And the people running the auditions, I mean, they don't want to hit the solo button. They want to hit the mute button because she's, she's not a singer. And then they ask her, so do you dance? <laughs> and she's like insulted. Why, why would you ask if I dance? You just heard me sing. Do you, do you, play, do you play an instrument? And the famous line for me, even though it's not famous for you, is, I'm a singer. My mom told me I'm a singer. 
My, my best friend told me I'm a singer. I feel like I'm a singer. There's people around me telling me this is what I want. So she's ardently about what she wants and what some people around her have told us. And it's pretty clear to a lot of other people that that's not her gift. This happens a lot in the body of Christ. People being very insistent, but this is what I like, or this is what I desire. The question is, are we listening to the Holy Spirit, and he convicts and and moves and changes and affirms how good God is to do that in our lives? But I spoke about Jenny Alexander's mom and her best buddy and all these people, right? Sometimes the people around us, even though they do love us, they give us misdirection with good intentions. Like they really want us to have what we want. So they tell us that we're good at it. You ever had that happen before? Really? Well, they, and it's not just a parent, it's, it's a friend. Well, they're my best friend and they told me I'm awesome at this. Well, they don't have an accurate view of who you are or what you do. So just because somebody speaks into your life, do we just latch onto that and say like, yes, they said that that's what I am. No, it's distributed by the Spirit. Now, it's wonderful to have the affirmation of people who are wise and honest in our lives. But when it comes to this, is he giving you that gift? We learned about this also when it comes to flatterers. They are also guilty of misdirecting us in the church. I'll read to you from the book of Jude, verse 16. And they, with great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So there are some who come into the church and they say lots of nice things that really aren't true. They flatter to gain advantage. I see you as being mightily used by the Lord in this area. Oh, you do? Wow, that feels really nice. Or the Lord has shown me that you're going to win many souls. And who doesn't want to win many souls and disciple many in Christ? But if that's flattery for the sake of gain, that person might be waiting around their whole life disgruntled that others don't recognize them as a mighty prophet or an extra special evangelist. Do you see what I'm saying? Maybe you don't. The flatter is just trying to make them feel good, handing out tantalizing pieces of flattery. I, I spoke at a church some time ago, and it doesn't matter to me at all that there were just a dozen people. There was a midweek service. And I was like, it, was, it was good. It was a good Bible study. We worshiped together. We had good fellowship. After that, I, I went to a conference, and um, I saw the pastor. He was absent the night that I was there. And, and he brought five pastors with him. And he was introducing, this is pastor such and such. This is pastor such and such. You got five pastors and 12 people in your church? Like, you, you see what I'm saying? He's handing out pastor titles. Well, this is the pastor of this, and this is the pastor of that. Well, the megachurches have dozens of pastors, right? I'm just affirming people's gifts. Or are you passing out titles to fill your roster, right? This happens so often in the body of Christ. And what it does sometimes is it tarnishes that person, and they think like, I'm really called to this. Just because somebody needed to put a title on you to make themselves feel like they had a lot of different divisions, don't get encumbered by that. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to those who can speak truth into your life, and it's going to be grounded. There are those who are well-meaning, but they've misdirected you. 
I'm not meaning to pick on your mom, but that's, that might be her, right? <laughs> there are those who, maybe they're directed in the right manner, but there's just not the discipline there to follow through with that. And I so desire to, to use what, what God has called me to do, but I don't want to think so much, oh, this is my gift, this is me, that I lose sight of how the Lord uses me to glorify him and all that are around him. If God has put in you, and you know it's from the Spirit, a desire for a certain gift, a certain ministry, a, a certain calling, listen to that. Oftentimes, though, realize that we're called to be like a support person in that area. Not necessarily, there, there has to be some kind of structure, right, in, in any successful ministry. We're like, so think, the Lord has given me a heart for this, and I, and I don't have to be the person that necessarily leads it, but I do have a heart from the Spirit to work in this way in this spiritual gift. And don't be insulted that you're not necessarily the one heading it up or being the point person. That is moving towards a competitive spirit instead of a complementary spirit, isn't it? And say, I, I'm, I'm here to give what I know the Spirit wants me to give and to receive also. Aren't you glad that you, your two ears work together? Aren't you glad that your two eyes work together? And it's all under the direction of the head, which is Christ, but that they're not like fighting with each other. Well, there's two ears. Guess what? I got room for both of you. I got room for both of you, that your two arms work together, that your ten fingers work together, that in the scope of like your digestive system, that your stomach and your small intestines and your large intestines all work together. Same goal, same gift, same calling, working together in a complementary way. You have a heart to do something practically, to, to be the helping hands. Maybe you're not going to be Franklin Graham, you know, Samaritan's Purse, you know, Phil. you don't have to have that name on there, right? Maybe you're not going to be K.P. O'Hannon or Greg Laurie, but your heart is still there, prompted by the Spirit to serve in that way. Lord Jesus, I so clearly see that you have a will, that you have a way, that you have a kingdom, that you have priorities, and they're good. I ask that you would line our hearts, our lives, and our church up with what matters to you, Lord. I pray that whatever it takes to shake us up and to draw us near, it would happen. I, I pray for us as we use the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge or as we use the gift of helps or the, the gift of teaching, the gift of mercy, Lord, that it would be alive and that we would clearly see that we have a lot to give and a lot to receive and we, we, we got it all from you in the first place, Lord Jesus. I, I thank you for pulling me into you and into your church, Lord. I know, and you know, I wouldn't have chosen it on my own in my flesh. But I thank you for having mercy on me and on so many of us and, and really changing our personalities and changing our desires and making us anchored in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.